My guest today is Dr. Tara Arnold. I'm delighted to have her here. Dr. Arnold is based in Atlanta, and if you'd like to go to her website, it's www.tarahearnoldinc.com. Tara is a psychotherapist, and she specializes in substance abuse and eating disorders, women's issues, as well as she works with families and individuals. And I'm delighted to have you with us today, Tara. Thank you. Can I call you Tara, not Dr. Arnold? That would be perfect. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I'm, I'm hoping you're going to be a bastion of information for us today because the parents have all been asking me, what can we as parents do to try to get our kids to not drink, to not smoke pot, to whatever. At what age should we actually start talking clearly to our children about drugs and alcohol and the dangers? Um, From my perspective, it's never too early. Um, Really, late elementary school, you want to have your eyes open. And it really depends on the developmental levels of your children, particularly. Um, Their maturity, if they're around a lot of older children or a lot of younger children or their own age peer group, it has a lot of impact on what they're being exposed to. Also, if you notice from an early age that your child has difficulty coping, like maybe emotionally they have a lot of distress or have a difficult time verbalizing how they feel, Uh um, those would be some red flags that you would need to be particularly more aware of any sort of signs or indicators or mention from them about drugs or alcohol. And it's never too early, even with media influences, when you are watching it on television to kind of deprogram afterwards and talk about, you know, the messages that that they saw and make sure that they're not getting kind of subtle messages that it's a pro-drug or pro-alcohol culture. So I definitely think by the time middle school hits, some discussion needs to have occurred. But it could be earlier if your child is particularly mature. Okay. One of the things that I did kind of age appropriate with my kids, we had a a just huge family history of alcoholism. I talked early on Mm -hmm. about that and the disease and how that could affect them. You know, and then as they got a little bit older, explained more. That's perfect. So that's okay. Mm -hmm. And I think that's another one of the questions that the parents have been posing to me to pose to you, which is how much do we tell them about our own family history and about our own history. I mean, there are plenty of baby boomers who drank too much mm-hmm. or smoked pot or did other drugs. And, you know, it's like, how do you maintain the boundary there? Exactly. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. What, do, what do you think about that? Um, I think talking in generalities at first is probably the best. Um, you know, understanding that, you know, some people drink socially or just casually, and then some people, um, it goes way too far and it damages their life and that kind of thing. But that even, you know, for an elementary school student might be a little bit too much. So you can just, you know, talk to them early on about the fact that what is an alcoholic and like that, you know, so-and-so had some trouble with that. And so you have to be very careful around substances. I think until they are asking you more specific questions, um, I think that that's probably when to start looking into how much detail to go into. Studies show that you don't want to lie to them, you know, even though it's uncomfortable and it's scary because you wonder, does that give them some sort of permission to do it too? Exactly. does this create this invisible, unspoken understanding that I know you're going to do this? Um, But it doesn't necessarily 
necessarily. Um, that's why it's so important for us as parents to know ourselves and to be ready when the topic comes up that we know what we want to share, how we want to share it, versus it coming up and us feeling so unprepared and accidentally disclosing too much or making it sound making it sound right, right, romanticizing it. And it's really us knowing ourselves and being ready. You need to be ready fourth grade. <laughs> you know, maybe that's our, our designation to start thinking about, okay, how am I going to talk to them about this? How am I going to disclose what I've done in a way that talks about there were things I wish I had done differently. You know, this was a mistake I made versus, oh, yeah, I used to use and smoke and it was, right. you know, great. Yeah. So that's what you want to think about, too, is how to frame it in a way that's not romanticizing, glamorizing, encouraging in any way. To be prepared because, yes, the questions do come. They do say, <laughs> yes. well, what did you do, Mom? What did you do, Dad? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have come across some pretty upsetting statistics, and from everything I'm hearing from the teens, it's pretty accurate, that just about 50% of all high school students have used alcohol at some point. Mm-hmm. And that sounds Does that sound right about on. right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's close to 40% have tried pot. Mm-hmm. That sounds right as well. Part of it, too, is that's people who are, feel comfortable in reporting. You know, I know that these are anonymous and that kind of mm-hmm. thing, but typically whenever statistics are given that you can estimate, it probably does even go a little bit higher than that because there are going to be people that feel afraid to disclose no matter if it's anonymous or how the study is done. Oh, you Tara, know. that's really scary. Yeah. <laughs> Not to be the pessimist, but at the same time, you know, it is pretty rampant and just how we're exposed to it, Bill boards everywhere. What is with pot nowadays? It's like nothing. It is like smoking a cigarette to these kids. It really is. And I just think it's the new drug of choice. I think it's accessible. I think that people feel less stigmatized when they do it. And I've heard kids talking about it when I'm just in social settings with around teenagers Mm -hmm. and they act like it's nothing. They act like they're talking about drinking Coke, you know, um, I, you know, let's go smoke, da, da, da. And there's so many inside jokes. And I think that is a, a red flag to us is as parents is if our kids are joking about it or if they are talking about it, like right. too normalized. I think that's a flag that, that something's going on and that they are a little too comfortable with it as well. Well, I was one of those naive parents that thought I'd had enough good talks mm-hmm. and had good enough communication that my children would never drink drink or try anything, especially marijuana, because it's illegal and they'd heard horror stories, you know, not like killer weed, like you're going to jump out a window, but bad enough. And, And so I was in that hear no evil, see no evil, that group of parents that was in denial. And I think it's been, it's a harsh reality, but I think we've got to all face the facts. Most of the kids are going to try this. And is there anything we can do to stop this? Well, part of it is, is that it is in a way normal for kids to try it. At the same time, it's not inevitable. And so the more education that we can do to let them understand specifically, you know, what alcohol does to your body, specifically what weed does to your body, any of the substances that 
you know, no matter what we study right now, next mm-hmm. year it could be something else is, you know, the drug of choice and we need to be prepared. So it's also for us to stay updated and up to date about what the kids are facing, what they're exposed to. But I do think that the more that we can communicate and when we hear little things, it's not, I've had a rough day and I've been busy, I don't have time to address this. Mm-hmm. It's listening out for anything, you know, to try and, and look for risk factors. One of the things that the kids told me, too, is if they're saying things like, oh, my friend does so-and-so, they're trying to subtly communicate to you, I'm doing that, too. That is a great, a great point, too. If we look at their peer group and they make us a little uncomfortable, say Mm -hmm. we notice that their peers are seeming to you, seeming to be a little bit more experimental than our kids even, you know, we want to pay attention to that. Just like we said, you know, if in elementary school they are around a lot of older kids, The same thing, even if they're the same age group, but they look like, you know, that they might be doing things a little bit more towards drugs or alcohol or or sexual even, then we want to make sure and, uh, and talk to them as much as we can about it. What do you think about cutting off friendships? It's really hard because, you know, we really can't control what they do at school and that kind of thing. But I do believe in trying to limit contact outside of school, especially that's part of the accountability piece about what parents can do is, you know, knowing where your kids are, who your kids are with, if the parents are going to be around. And two, I do think that the more we communicate with them, this is not a punishment. If you want to be around them, you can be around them at our house right. for a couple of hours and if that proves to be too dangerous or too much contact, then we just can't allow that right now. And it is just a discussion of trying to give them autonomy and respect at the same time. We're your parents right now, and it's our responsibility at your age to, to try to help you make good decisions. And I think that's what all of us as parents are looking for. What is it that we can do that will increase this level of accountability without making them feel like we're being punitive? Right. And it's such a fine line. And some of it is presentation, of course. You know, if you present to them, you know, I know a lot of kids your age are doing A, B, and C, and so so the wool doesn't get pulled over my eyes and I don't mm-hmm. ignore anything. Let's try to work on these things over time randomly so you don't think I'm not trusting you, I just want you to know that I care enough that I'm going to do this. And even if it upsets you, makes you mad at me, I don't seem like the cool parent. I'm going to, you know, I think if you have any suspicion, I think it's not out of line to, to do a drug screen. They're easy to find, you know, randomly doing those. If you do get suspicious, I think it's perfectly appropriate. If they refuse it or make a big deal about it, that's not a good sign that they're clean. Uh, okay. <laughs> and that that's just part part of it. And so the earlier you talk about those things and demystify, destigmatize, de-emphasize mm-hmm. them, then it makes it feel just like anything else that you can do it without it being any sort of punitive measure. But I also think curfews, staying close to your teen when they get home, I think kind of get in their space. Yes. If they smell chemically, if they smell alcoholy, if they smell like too much breath freshener. Or um, perfume. Yeah. I mean, those are red flags. We all know that. Think about anything that anyone would do to hide something. And they are going to try to hide this from us. They are not going to come out and say right away. (laughs) Right. And so, you know, we have to be thinking in those terms. If we notice something little, it really could be a string to something significantly bigger. And in that respect, it gets hard because then you get into the what's experimentation, what's a problem. 
at what point do I go, okay, maybe she's got a problem and I don't know about it. How snoopy can I be? Mm -hmm. That's one of the questions Mm -hmm. that parents have asked me. (laughs) You know, is it like wrong to look through their journals or go through their sock drawers or... Right. And it's hard. That's very hard to know because it is, you know, everybody needs privacy. At the same time, we can't go with blinders on. There are some concrete signs. If your kid is got Visine out all the time, if they're smoking cigarettes, especially, that's always, you know, a gateway kind of thing. If they wait a minute, mm-hmm. explain that to me. Cigarettes are a gateway to to drugs and alcohol. Typically, most kids that are going to drink or smoke pot smoke cigarettes as well, and that's not all of them, but it's really proven that a ton of a large majority of the kids that do anything else smoke as well. Wow. Yeah. So that's a red flag that it's just like a negative peer group or, you know, wearing drug paraphernalia clothing or, you know, listening to a lot of music that glorifies substance use. And pop culture, a lot of the music has subtle references to drugs and alcohol. If you notice when they're singing certain parts of songs or if most of their music has those kinds of lyrics, those are red flags. Because in some ways they're saying it's okay. If they're very anti-drug and alcohol, they're not going to want to hear music that's talking about getting high and getting drunk and all of that. Well, Tara, I'm trying to drink all of this in because it is a lot of information and and it is, it's scary, you know, and Mm -hmm. I think back really 20 years ago or 30 years ago, all of this stuff was new. So our parents, I think, were super in the dark about this. So now it's like we have more information and almost in some ways makes it worse. I suppose it's better too. But I think we, we've all kind of heard, okay, if your kid is, their grades are dropping or they're spending a lot of time in their room or whatever, what are some of the signs or the symptoms we could look for that show alcohol use, drug usage mm-hmm. that's out of the norm? Um, I know we've mentioned a few of them, but um, breath mints, you know, always having breath mints or visine. Also, a lot of incense or candle burning in their room, you know, because you think about some kids will smoke in their room, unfortunately. And so if they're all of a sudden, you know, changing the decor of their room, that's getting a little bit more, you know, the traditional black lights or even posters that glorify substance use. And then the candles and the incense, that's all of a sudden happening versus it's always happened. That would be a sign that's something has changed. Also, if they come home and you notice a lot of times they have red eyes or they're swaggering or they have, you know, an awkward walk, any of that can be signs. And then too, the more emotional signs like getting more detached from the family, um, not achieving as high in school, smoking cigarettes, weight changes. Weight changes like getting the munchies and eating too much food or Or maybe the other way. Um, And a lot of the more serious drugs, not that these are not serious, but the more that are going to be much more impactful quickly, and they'll lose a lot of weight really quickly. Like methamphetamines, mm-hmm. heroin, right. cocaine, that sort right. of thing. Right, oxycodone, all of that stuff. But also their clothing articles, if they start wearing more stuff that's, you know, promoting alcohol or drugs. And two, like even on people's folders, you know, like the things that they write on their folders, you know, oh. if they're starting to write more kind of in code, if they're talking to their friends on the phone kind of in code or language, you can tell it's like a secret language uh-huh. in a way. Those are all red flags that they are not communicating as openly with us as we want them to. There's so many little subtle things that we can try to notice. So we've got to be really on our toes here. And I think, too, if we're wanting to stay in denial, it's easy to think, oh, that's just a little teen language or whatever. Mm -hmm. And how crucial is it for us as parents to be on top of this? 
it's very crucial, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So if we can understand that they are starting to get curious or they are starting to experiment, if we can be there for them and understand what's going on and try to talk to them and communicate the risks and to be empathetic that it's hard, your peers are using, you know, it's hard not to be in the in-crowd doing that kind of thing. And not that all kids in the in-crowd are doing that. I have to watch my language as well. <laughs> um, but those subtle things, those subtle ways that we suggest that that's the thing to do puts us at risk. What about, obviously, there are parents that I've heard of that sit around and smoke dope with their kids. Yes. You know, so that I know that happens. I don't think it's very common. However, one of the questions that's been posed from the parents is, what about drinking socially? How much does this impact my child thinking alcohol is okay? And from what the teens are telling me, they're going to get into that liquor cabinet. (laughs) Yes. Um, It is a big impact. I want to start that by talking about, too, the way that we talk about it. If we come home from work and we're huffing and puffing, oh, it's been such a hard day, I need a drink. Oh, I just need, mommy needs her glass of wine. They pick up on those set of ways. If we use it to cope, they're going to learn that that's what you do to cope as an adult. And, you know, I think a lot of people say, oh, these are adult drinks, honey, or these are not for kids. And so that's like, oh, okay, so when I'm old enough, when I'm a big girl, I get to drink too. And it kind of in that way glamorizes it as well. And so the less aware we are of how we really use alcohol and drugs in our own life, we are subtly communicating that norm to our kids. 